9. Joshua chapter 9 is thick stuff. It is perhaps a part of God's word that you haven't read in a very, very long time. And there are undoubtedly some of you in the room who have never read Joshua 9 at all. And that is totally okay. One of the reasons why we are reading through Joshua, even though the passages are long, is just for us to hear God's word, to hear it. And I know some of these passages are uncomfortably long, so you can remain seated this morning as I read from Joshua chapter 9. Would you please give your attention to the reading of God's word? As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to all the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst, and these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chipherah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders but all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. But this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. And so they became cutters of wood and drawers of water from, for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. And Joshua summoned them and said to them, 
Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. Now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you now take this passage, passage that may be very unfamiliar to many of us, would you help it come alive? Help us to see the intention with which it was recorded for us in your inerrant, infallible, precious word by which you intend to change your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Gibeon's a strange story. It's a story of Israel making a treaty with a people that they should not have made a treaty with. It's a very strange story, isn't it? The treaty that they made with Gibeon was a mistake. And the question underneath Joshua chapter 9 is a very simple and yet a very profound question. If God who is sovereign, who controls all things, if that's true, then can Israel make a mistake? Can we make mistakes? And friends, the answer according to God's word is an unqualified answer without conditions. Yes, we can. Because God is so sovereign, he is in so much control that he even takes your mistakes and he uses them for his own glory. The treaty that Israel made with Gibeon should not have happened. Israel had just read on the mountain of Ebal, Mount Ebal and Gerizim, where they just were at the end of chapter 8. They had just read the whole of the law of Moses. That may have been just portions of Deuteronomy, maybe just the Ten Commandments and the chapters after it, or it could have been the whole thing. But it's not hard to imagine that they read into chapters 20, when God says very explicitly, Israel, you can make a covenant with people who are far away outside the promised land. You can make covenants with them all that you'd like. But the people inside the covenant land that I'm giving you, the promised land, you shall not make deals with them. You shall destroy those inhabitants and you shall take and possess their land. Gibeon was a town that was six miles northwest of Jerusalem. It was a town that um, had much wider influence than its population might warrant. It, it might be, for example, um, analogous to like Bartlesville is in the oil industry. Bartlesville is a relatively small town, but in the oil industry, it has significant influence with the headquarters of Phillips Petroleum, of, of uh, Chevron Phillips, of Phillips 66 being housed there. 
Gibeon was a city like that, a smaller city, but it had significant influence. And here the kings of Gibeon have seen what the Lord has done, and they said, we're going to make a pact with Israel. So they do this very strange thing. They wear their shoes out. They get their old tattered clothes. They put them on, and they create a ruse for Israel. And this passage shows us something that's very interesting. It shows us the problem with common sense. The problem with common sense. It shows us the fastest way into trouble. And it also will show us the shortest way out. What's the problem with common sense? The problem with common sense is that it sometimes is not very sensible. And here, Israel finds that common sense sometimes leads them into mistakes. So look at the text with me. What does it say? It says that they gathered together old shoes and old tattered clothes, and they got wineskins. And they came from this town of Gibeon to Gilgal. Israel, between their battlements, went back to Gilgal, which, which was just across the river, to where they created these massive oaths, these great stone monuments in praise of what the Lord had done. And the Gibeonites meet them in Gilgal, which is evidently where Israel would go back between their conquests to remember the great works of the Lord. And parenthetically, going to Gilgal is the same thing we do when we come to worship. It's going back to the great works of the Lord. It's saying again, remember what Jesus did. Remember week after week after battles after battles, you come back to Gilgal and you remember God's covenant faithfulness to his people. So here they are at Gilgal. They're in worship. And here the Gibeonites come to meet them at Gilgal. And they come to them tattered, worn out, crumbly bread. And they say, oh, we have come from a far, far country. And at first, Israel is skeptical, aren't they? But then they lay out the pseudoscience and they say, well, look at our shoes. Look at our wineskins. Look at our bread that's crumbly. And they bring a military report from as far away as Egypt. And they trick Israel. And Israel decides to make a covenant with the Gibeonites. And they say, we will not destroy you, and we will make a covenant with you. Listen, this kind of pseudoscience happens to us all the time. Israel is in a tough situation. You know, you know like when you read um, reports from people who are much more knowledgeable than you are in certain fields, and they say, listen, I promise you that this is true. Listen, do you trust my credentials? It's true, right? And you begin to believe them. It's like the old Tide commercial where you see the two clear beakers of water, you know, and you see the detergent A goes in one, detergent B goes in the other, and two muddy shirts go in, and the guy, you know, with his lab goggles on, stirs them, and he pulls one shirt out, bleach white, and the other one is off-white. And the conclusion is, through this kind of pseudoscience, that detergent A obviously is best. And then the curtain falls, and you see the box of Tide. They do the same kind of thing here to Israel. They trick them. What seemed very common to Israel. This is just like common sense. Their shoes were obviously worn out. It's not like they had the buckle to go buy old tattered stuff at. 
Like their shoes are worn out and their wine bags are obviously busted. They must have traveled from a far, far place. And so Israel enters into this covenant with them. The story at this point has two lessons for us. It's a strange text, isn't it? The story has two lessons for us. What's the fastest way into trouble? Because common sense sometimes is not that sensible. In verse 14 of chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, lower your eyes to the text and look at it. In verse 14, we find that their mistake was defined by their not seeking counsel from the Lord. What's the trouble with common sense? The fastest way into trouble, as common sensible as it may seem, is that Israel did not seek counsel from the Lord. They didn't ask whether or not they should make a covenant with this people. They didn't even ask the Lord at all. And so they entered into a mutual non-aggression covenant with the people of Gibeon. It just made sense. Obviously, the science showed it. And they never asked the Lord's counsel. That's what verse 14 says. It's put there in stark relief to remind all of Israel reading this passage and us. That was their mistake. They made the decision without seeking the Lord's will. And so, no matter if it seems obvious to us, it is our responsibility as Christians to seek the Lord's will. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that you should seek the Lord's will every time you fill your car up with gas. That doesn't mean you should seek the Lord's will every time you go to put something on in the morning. But it does mean that you should seek the Lord's will when you fill your car up with gas with your family in it and you're traveling this week for Thanksgiving. That you pray to him and you ask for safety. It does mean that those things that you assume that you have control over, you don't have control over. It does assume that you will stop and you'll ask counsel from the Lord in a whole host of areas of your life that you do not ask counsel from the Lord in. When I was a freshman in college, I'd stayed out all night long with um, this fraternity trip that I was on, and I'd spent, I had a lot of all-nighters, and I was fine the next day. And people used to always want to ride in my car with me in these trips, and so we piled into to my car, and we'd stayed up all night. And I was a good driver. I'd stayed up all the night before, no problem. So we were driving back on these country roads in Texas back to College Station. And everybody in the car, including me, fell asleep. And I woke up, and I was in the bar ditch of a country field going 80 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And my car went in the air and rolled. And Chris Bailey, who was sitting in the passenger side, luckily had a seatbelt on, and Paul Mason, who was laid out sleeping in my back seat without a seatbelt on, by God's grace, all of us ended up being okay. But it was simply presumption, right? I've driven plenty of times, even times when I'd stayed awake all night. Didn't stop and ask whether or not this was wise or not. This happens all the time in your life. You presume that you're in control of situations and you're not. 
Now, this may seem like a silly example, but let's just keep going in our life. We can think of many others. There's a friend of mine named Holly Casserly, who she had a lot of little nieces and nephews at her house one day when she was backing up her car in her own driveway. But she looked around her car for all the little kids, and they were all safely inside the house. No problem, right? So she decides to back her car up, but she forgot that her boyfriend, Tom, had just come back from a jog and was stretching, using her car on the back of her car to stretch his hamstrings out. And she jumps into her car, starts it. Tom yells. She can't hear him, and she backs her car up, and she doubles her boyfriend over and runs over him, breaks his back. There were no children back there. Common sense, right? Later, Holly and Tom told the story because, of course, yes, they got married, and yes, his back healed. Another man I know who got a job promotion that just seemed too good to be true is common sense. The package did not lie to him. And so he packed his family up from Texas. He'd been passed over for a promotion. He was frustrated by his current company. And he followed his new salary package to a northeastern city Bought a beautiful home in the Northeast. The company forgot to tell him that, oh, by the way, we're moving our headquarters to Arizona in three months. So he sells his house, moves to Arizona at the height of the housing market. Next month after he buys this brand new house in Arizona, housing market crumbles. Common sense. You take jobs based upon the pay, right? So he thought. And he will tell you to this day, he took that job because it made sense. God obviously was opening a door for him to make more money for his family. And it was only after bankruptcy that he admitted that the reason I took that was because I just chased the salary package. And it was the wrong decision to make. Joshua chapter 9 confronts us with something that every single one of us, me included, are guilty of, and that is presumption. To presume that you know what you should do, even when it seems to make sense. And Israel, they read the evidence. They've obviously been from a far country. But it was a mistake. And it's recorded in Scripture to remind you what to do whenever we make mistakes like this. What do you do? Because the fastest way into a mistake is not seeking counsel from the Lord. One commentator says it's not that they weren't skeptical. It's not even that they were sloppy in their investigation. It's that they were alone in their decision. And one of the blessings of being a young church and being able to have community groups be such a core part of our church is that you begin to rely more and more on your community group to ask advice. And the Bible is not going to tell you if you should take certain jobs in certain cities and it's going to tell you what is right for salvation and how you are to follow God's will in the specific areas with which scripture teaches but God has given his people wisdom to help you seek the Lord in very important decisions do you because one of the chief sins of our time is presumption that in our independence we can handle it and that to talk about it with somebody else to let them in is to feel weak. No, it is not. It is to be wise. So the fastest way in, according to this text, the fastest way into trouble is to not seek the counsel of the Lord. What is the shortest way out of trouble? Hmm? 
What's the shortest way out? Because sometimes you just, quite frankly, you cannot fix something without going back on your word. And the shortest way out for us sometimes is a very long way because it means that you have to live with the consequences of your decision. You are free from the guilt of sin, friends. But that doesn't mean you're free from the consequences of your sin. Words matter. And it's hard for us to imagine Israel, if we were in their situation, signing a covenant for a mutual non-aggression treaty with a country named Gibeon while being deceived. It's hard for us to imagine that we wouldn't just null and void that contract. But you know what? Israel didn't. Why? Because their word is their bond. And they kept to their word. Even when three days later they realized it was a huge mistake. And the enormity of the mistake can't emphasize enough. For 400 years, God had been patient with the Canaanites. And Romans tells us that the Lord is patient to bring us to repentance. But they did not come to repentance. And so the Lord in his right judgment of Canaan used Israel to judge the Canaanites and to give Israel this land, land which they never fully possessed. And if you, as we said last week, if you think that's hard to swallow, that God just killed 12,000 people, remember the Lord is patient. That is nothing compared to what you and I have done. The number of people, as we said last week, who have been killed in wars in the 20th century alone mount up to 60 million. Compared to 12,000, that makes the Lord's patience seem incredibly sustained, doesn't it? The Lord should have wiped out all of Canaan, all of Israel, and all of us, but he didn't. Because he made a covenant with us, and he said, my word is my bond, and I will create a people for my namesake named Israel, and I will be faithful to them. And out of the covenant faithfulness God has to his own word, he expects his people to be faithful to their word. And here Israel, though it makes no sense to Western individualized Christians like us, their word was their bond and they kept it to Gibeon. The shortest way out of your mistake is to admit and be aware of the consequences of your decisions. You are free from the guilt of your sin through Christ, but you are not free from the consequences of those decisions. There was a story that I heard about a guy who after college went into business with three of his friends. Four of them owned this company together, and after a number of years into their careers, one of these guys became a Christian. And these four guys were presented with an incredible job opportunity to consult for MTV. This is back in the 80s. And this was when MTV was all the rage. And these four guys sat down and they looked at this contract, which was going to make all four of them very, very wealthy. And they talked about this contract together. And this man who'd become a Christian began to, in his conscience, not feel good about this deal because he didn't believe that what MTV was doing was good for society. And he had this conflict of interest going on. 
But he also knew that on the other hand, he'd committed to these three guys that he would work with them and for them and they would make decisions together. And so they sat in the boardroom with this great contract on the table and he said to his three friends, guys, listen, I do not think this contract is good morally. And I'm about to vote against it. But I want you to know that I've committed to you. And my word is my bond. We've been doing this for many years together. And that if you decide to outvote me, I'm not going to sabotage the contract. We're in it together. I'm going to work just as hard for this deal as I worked for any other deal. But I'm not going to take any of the proceeds. And you can split it three ways. And so they voted together and this man lost and they did the deal with MTV. And when it came time for the bonuses, they split the bonuses three ways and he didn't take any of it. His word was his bond. Listen, many of us make decisions in our life and we suffer the consequences of those decisions. And no, this is a silly example of this MTV contract. It does make the point, doesn't it? Your word matters. And for Israel, their word matters. And the shortest way out of trouble sometimes means you have to swear to your own hurt. And isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what your Savior did when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me? But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ swore to his own hurt. And he vowed himself by his word to the plans of his father and says, I will keep my word. Jesus, the true Israel, who kept his word and it landed him on the cross. So that the consequences of your sins eternally might not be afforded to you, but that might go on him. So that Jesus, though you suffer temporary consequences of your mistake, Jesus Christ on the cross took upon himself the eternal consequences of your rejection of God. And he bore it on himself on the tree. And God is in your own life. He is so sovereign to take the mistakes that you've made, however heinous and difficult they are, with whatever lasting consequences they come with. He's able to take those and he's able to use them for good. And sometimes we may never know how he uses those for good in our lifetime. But here with this strange story of Gibeon, Gibeon is cursed. And they are cursed to do what? To be cutters of wood and drawers of water for this animal sacrifices for the people of Israel. In other words, they are cursed to be close to the temple for the rest of their people's existence. So that many years later, the sons of Korah could write, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And the Lord uses the mistake of Israel to bring this pagan country into Israel. Not only into Israel, but into the holiest of holy places, to the temple to be cutters of wood and drawers of water for the sacrifices of ancient Israel. And we can only speculate, but can you imagine the profound impact that would have on the people of, people of Gibeon through the generations? Maybe they too, like Rahab, 
came not only to hear the stories of the one true God, but to trust in them and to believe them. So friends, listen, if some of you have made mistakes that have lifelong consequences and you're struggling with those consequences, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is taking on the greater consequence of your sin upon himself. That the shortest way out of your trouble is though you swear on your own hurt and you experience it, there is one, namely your Savior, who takes upon the consequences of all your mistakes upon himself, the ultimate consequences of sin and death, and he bears it for you. And there's not a person in this room who doesn't have weighty lifetime consequences from their own mistakes. And the good news of the gospel is not to go out and try to fix your mistake. The good news of the gospel is to look in and to see your Savior with arms outstretched saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. And though that consequence may be a thorn in your side for the rest of your life, your Savior is with you. And for those of you who have not, or perhaps are on the edge of a mistake, friends, seek the counsel of the Lord. Presumption is foolishness. In Joshua chapter 9, it's this great and strange text of the treaty with the Gibeonites to remind us that there is trouble with common sense and that when you're in trouble, the fastest way out is to face those consequences, to own up to the mistake that you made, and to look to your Savior who ultimately takes upon himself the consequence that you deserved of sin and of death. In the sovereign work of God, the Gibeonites escaped with their lives. And the consequences of your mistake, I don't know if lives will be taken or not. But we do stand on the great truth and hope that your Savior is there. And he sings over you his love. And there is no mistake wide enough to extend the bounds of God's grace if you run to him. So in a few minutes, when we fence this table, come to him. With the counsel of the Lord, as a member of the new Israel, and bask in his forgiving presence. And to leave this place with all of your mistakes, not feeling overwhelmed by sorrow, but coming face to face, swearing on your own hurt, but knowing that Jesus Christ was the one who took upon the hurt of the world so that in your hurt you might have hope and see your Savior who loves you and is with you and swears by his own word that no matter what crazy treaties you make, mistakes that you make, he will be faithful to you if you're in him. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Let's pray together.
Father, we ask that you will help us as a people riddled by sin, prone to make mistakes after mistakes, to be presumptuous. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember that you are faithful and that that is never an excuse for disobedience. It is a motivation for seeking your counsel, for you love your people. So, Father, help us to be a people who seek counsel of one another in the body of Christ and in your word, the ultimate authority of our life. And we pray, Father, that you will help us in so doing to be a picture to the watching world of how you intend to redeem us and all creation for your glory. We pray that you will start this morning to do that in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We now continue our worship of our living God. Uh, we continue by giving back uh, from all the things he's given us. So many blessings. And there's several ways to give back to Trinity. And it's listed on page uh, 11. There used to be three, now there's six. So you can go through the list. There's all different ways and different avenues to, uh, to give back what God has given to you. So let's go before that living God in prayer. Oh, Redeemer God, we thank you for the life the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For in his life, you've shown us how to show compassion, how to forgive, how to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, in his death, you showed us what sacrifice looks like, the sacrifice to his own life, the separation from his father. What sacrifice that is, O oh Lord. And indeed, in his resurrection, you have shown the world that his life was enough enough for us that he gave freely. And Lord, we see what glorification will be for his children. Help us, Lord. Give us, give us hearts of gratitude and give us a zeal for the gospel, for our neighbors, uh, our families, this city, um, our country, and the world. And we pray that you will bless these gifts and tithes and offerings that we give you this morning, that they will honor you, that your name will be glorified. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Thank you. 